The Deeper Dig is sponsored by Casella. Let's recycle better together. Be sure to empty and clean recyclables. When in doubt, throw it out. Americans toss far too many non-recyclable items in their recycling bins. It adds up and hurts recycling programs. Learn what belongs in your blue bin at casella.com slash recycle better. Let's recycle better together. From VT Digger, this is The Deeper Dig. I'm Riley Robinson. A recent study of Facebook data shows that the more high-income people you're friends with, the more likely you are to end up later making more money yourself. And in some ways, this seems pretty intuitive. Those connections can lead to jobs and other opportunities. It's a kind of social capital. This study also showed Vermont had higher-than-average economic connectedness, so more people had friends in other income brackets. VT Digger's data reporter Aaron Patenko started asking around about this. What helps people make cross-class friendships in a time when income inequality continues to grow? Hey, Aaron. Hi, Riley. Thanks for having me on. Tell me about this social capital study, or how should we refer to it? Social capital story sounds good. Um, it's by... Um, Opportunity Insights, which is a research group out of Harvard that has done a lot of these kind of big social sciences studies. The one that I wrote about was this one on social connectedness and social capital. So what they did was they took the Facebook friends of everyone in the local area and measured, um, you know, how many low income people were Facebook friends with higher income people. And things like that. And then they also connected it with economic uh, mobility and how people ended up in their lives. What they found is that essentially the higher income people you interact with, the more likely you are to end up in a higher income bracket. Essentially, like having friends who are well off or, you know, are pretty well off will help you to achieve more things later in life, maybe because you have more access to opportunities like jobs and just like general exposure to opportunities in your life. The catch, I guess you could say, is that on the whole, we, do, we don't interact with each other all that much. People tend to stay in their, their little groups, their little income groups, and um, it's very rare for someone from a lower class to genuinely make friends with someone from a higher class versus, say, like just work for them as an employee. So I thought it was interesting to kind of look at that throughout Vermont and ask the question of, is Vermont providing people with access to social capital that can lead them to get actual opportunities and end up at a higher end of the income scale? So... These researchers were just looking at whether or not it was just a number of Facebook friends, right? And who you're friends with, not anything about the depth of these interactions. Yeah, it's it's just based on who you're Facebook friends with. And I would also posit as well that um, there might be a bias just in terms of who your Facebook friends are. For example, I very rarely use Facebook these days. So most of my Facebook friends are people from high school or college. Um, and, you know, there's also, I would say, maybe different usage of Facebook depending on your age and your demographics, things like that. Quick note, this data is imperfect and the smallest towns got left out because it was just too small a sample size. But I also think that there is something interesting about the fact that you can see 
a benefit to having a Facebook friend, whether or not that person's like a serious best friend in your life uh, versus just an acquaintance that you checked yes on when they sent you a Facebook request. Because even just having acquaintances who might happen to pass along uh, a job opportunity or something like that. Um, so that was part of why I kind of delved into several institutions that are kind of designed to inter promote interaction, but not necessarily best friend interaction, just creating any kind of community group that people can unite around. I was also kind of interested in seeing how a built environment could contribute to more social connectedness. Like, how do you physically structure a space to promote people getting to know each other? Yeah, someone suggested I go to the library because the library is obviously like a public institution with a wide social usage. The only thing about that is like, I don't know if you've been to the library, but they don't like generally promote talking to people. <laughs> so Erin went out to talk to folks about what works and she ended up at the Craftsbury General Store, lovingly known as the Jenny. This store, the Craftsbury General Store, is, we, I bought it in 2012. So 10, we just hit our 10-year anniversary in July. I came during lunchtime. They were playing Michael Jackson, and everyone was, like, dancing around the aisles. <laughs> the owners of the store are very aware that this is the place where people hang out, where people get to know each other, where people run into each other. They also do things like they host occasional community dinners. They have like a little post office where people can send out their mail. We were we were laughing at this this morning because there was a group of women all in the very center, like the most high traffic part of the store, in conversation about something really personal and intimate. And it's like, that is what the store like, that happens all day long, yeah. you know, people crossing paths. It's like, totally. yeah, because you don't, it's not like a city where... This is Jana Smart, one of the Jenny's co-owners. ...that environment, that this is the place that that, that it happens. And so, it's just like, you watch it all day long. Yep. You know, it's like people Once a year in July, usually, they have this big, big block party where basically everyone in town comes. Jana Smart, Emily McClure, and Kit Basim run the Jenny together. They also run the general store in Albany, one town over. The Albany general store had burnt in a fire several years ago and closed, and people from the town raised about $800,000 to bring it back. Um, yeah. I mean, and then there's like the deeper connection. Right. So deeper connection. And even just like on a, on a, like a small level, this, you know, like people will be like, oh, I need to leave something for my friend and I'm just going to leave it at the general store. Yep. The idea that it's like, I have a message to give, yeah. I have a thing to give someone, yep. I have, like, this is where people come to, like, deposit things for other people, and I just, yeah. and, like, or, you know, I just or think call about, with troubles, like, yes, I'm like, ah, my car broke down, help, <laughs> well, yeah. we've been part yeah. of, like, we've been part of interventions, we've been part of, like, I've been on the phone for, like, suicide watch calls, like, it's, it's like a depository for the human experience. Like, really, it's like <laughs> yes. just everything. Yeah, I mean, are there other kind of, I don't know, institutions, organizations, physical places that you see in rural communities that do a good job of connecting people? I think if you rewound like 50 years ago, I could tell you Grange Halls, VFW Halls, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the kind of fraternal organization type 
um, entities um, and, and schools. I think those things have changed over, over the, you know, some kind of period of time here where they're... This is Brian Lowe. He's the executive director of the Vermont Council on Rural Development. There are others, though. You know, like, like I think about like some of the different communities we've worked in, like churches, um, museums, like, like the Old Stone House in Brownington, right? Like there are places that um, people connect lumber mills, um, the dump. I mean, I really... Brian wasn't the only person who name-dropped the dump as one of those places of connection. So, shout out to the dump. Like, certainly it seems like social capital matters. What was exciting about the paper was the kind of idea of being able to um, illuminate, like, why it matters. People are people, and I do think expectations can be powerful things, forming what people want to do and aspire to do. And so this idea... There's lots of factors to why Americans are really fractured across class lines, These researchers said some of it is physical geography. At the really granular level, it can come down to local zoning and how towns are built. And where are those spaces to actually physically gather? Where are the kind of trusted places where you can go? Um, I was talking to someone recently about, like, from a young professional perspective, how do you do it, right? Like, if you have young kids, like, maybe it's through your kids' childcare or school if you're lucky enough to get childcare. Like, but for folks who don't, like, it's really hard. Like, there mm-hmm. are these kind of missing institutions, yeah. um, I think. Institutions maybe is not the right word, but just like that. What is that? So I know a lot of your reporting focused on where Vermont is doing better at this or some of the unique aspects of Vermont that really promote social connectedness. But I think on the, thinking about the flip side of this study, it shows just how much opportunity is still trapped within the circle of who you know and social circles and not on merit in an open pool is the flip reading that I'm getting out of this. Yeah, so I talked to Belaine Intense, uh, who works with the Professionals of Color Network, and she told me a little bit about how the organization kind of helps to create connections and community among BIPOC Vermonters. One of the things we try to do is not have really strict, um, any kind of strict guideline around what qualifies a professional, whether it's white mm-hmm. collar, or blue collar or whatever the thing may be. This is Belaine. In that uh, we're removing some of these, these traditional or more white standards of what it means to be a professional. And we're just looking at the person at work. Another quick note about data. This Facebook data set didn't look at friendships by race or other demographics. Other research has looked at how people group together in their social lives. One national poll found that 40% of white people have only white friends. About 25% of people of color responded that all of their friends are the same race as them. The spaces of school and the workplace, I think, are the easiest places for people to make these cross-economic friendships. That being said, to like enter those spaces, there's still a high barrier. So there's like a mm-hmm. tiny percentage of low income people that enter high income spaces. I'm really, I was really fascinated to read their findings. And then because it confirms a little bit my working theory that if you go to a public high school where kids of all economic backgrounds are attending from different communities, um, and if that high school is small enough, you absolutely are making friends with people from all different backgrounds. There's no way to avoid it. This is Cheryl Morse. She's a social geographer at UVM. My high school had a graduating class of 89 people, and we all knew each other's names. And and so there were cliques for sure, but there was so much movement between them. 
that it was just too small to have clicks that were exclusive. I guess you could put it that way. I can say that in my own anecdotal lived experience that I, I experienced a high degree of economic, I don't know if it was economic connectedness, but I experienced many friendships with people from uh, various income brackets as I was growing up. And those friendships have persisted into my fifties. Mm. So I, I think I wasn't surprised when I looked to see the towns in Vermont that um, I'm aware of that I know well to see that high level of economic cohesion. I think in, in Vermont, we have public high school. Um, that's one factor. We have far fewer private schools and charter schools that I think might segregate people. And I'm wondering if that's one of the factors in the Southern United States that's making it less economically connected. I do think that the education piece is, obviously everyone says the trope like education opens doors, but I do think that in the university setting is usually when uh, people from lower economic backgrounds interact with people from higher economic backgrounds. Um, yeah, so th that happened with me too, and I think that that opened up. Belaine noticed this when she was a student at Cornell. I went to Cornell University, and I remember some data came out, um, and it was like 50% of Cornell students pay for tuition fully and don't receive any financial aid. Cornell at the time cost about $74,000 per year. It really showed the economic gap within mm -hmm. a school like that. And I, I didn't, until I read that, I was like, who am I going to school with? It was Opportunity Insights, which did this study we've been talking about, did a different study on universities about five years ago. And again, they put numbers to something that is pretty intuitive. Elite colleges really do boost economic mobility for their students who don't come from wealth. But this helps a relatively small number of people because these really elite institutions are often accepting and enrolling small numbers of low-income students. And it's a similar thing at a lot of non-Ivy League schools. Granted, this research came out in 2017, but it found that the median family income for a student at Middlebury College was more than $244,000. Only about 3% of Middlebury students came from the bottom 20% of household income. But those students who came from families with less money were far more likely than the national average to end up in the top 20% of earners later in life. At UVM, the median family income was more than $121,000. And that's about double the median household income in Vermont generally. There is one, one question that I wanted to ask you, and I'm wondering, do you think that there is a way that we as a society could encourage those kind of friendships more? Yes. I think we just, yes. <laughs> there were some hints of that in the New York Times article about the way that we could house people together purposefully in colleges the way Yale does, or even more publicly accessible means to achieve mixing would be the way we lay out um, our public spaces, like mm -hmm. parks mm -hmm. and um, town centers, so that people mix with each other, the way we lay out schools so that 
students come into central places and they bump into each other, hallways. Um, I, th I think there's a geography to connectedness that can be very intentional. A town meeting is, again, another place where you see everybody at town meeting. And it's in one big room together and there are often social activities that are that, and traditions that surround that town meeting. And that's a place where um, geographically specific economic mixing happens. The recycling drop-off for yeah. towns that have like one central spot. If you want to go meet people, I had my student who's doing research up in northern Vermont. She specifically brought donuts to the recycling drop-off place on Saturday morning to try to meet people that she could interview. Because oh. that was the one place. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah you can use it. Okay, <laughs> thank you. You can find more of Erin's reporting on all kinds of interesting data at vtdigger.org. This episode used music by Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back soon. <laughs>